Well, we're going to read the Bible now. So if you've got the, your Bibles there, why don't you flick them open? The first reading is from Proverbs. Should come up on the screen. Yep, Proverbs 13, 14 to 20. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Good judgment wins favour, but the way of the unfaithful leads to their destruction. All who are prudent act with knowledge, but fools expose their folly. A wicked messenger falls into trouble, but a trustworthy envoy brings healing. Whoever disregards discipline comes to poverty and shame. But whoever heeds correction is honoured. A longing fulfilled is sweet to the soul, but fools detest turning from evil. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Uh, The next reading is from Psalms. Just a book back, Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. All right, we've got another one this morning. So flick over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the price. Good morning, everybody. Uh, It's great to see you here at church. If you haven't met me, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at the Lakes. Last week, uh, I preached on money uh, from the book of Proverbs, because we're in a series at the moment in the book of Proverbs, looking at current day issues and how Proverbs can assist us with those things. And I think last week, from memory, I think I said something along the lines of, many people would say they need a little more money or a lot more money, and I disagreed. I said, I think people need wisdom in dealing with the money that they're given. Well, self-control is what I'm talking about today, And I'm going to say this week, I reckon we all need a lot more of it and a lot more wisdom in how we use it. Or maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but I don't think I am. 
To start this morning, I want to show a short two-minute clip. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. It smells really So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. There you go. So that's the Stanford Marshmallow Test. It was first done in 1972. That obviously wasn't the footage from 1972. Uh, but it was a, a, a test by psychologists to try and help us understand what's the impact of self-control. What's the impact of being able to delay our gratification? And what they found was with these kids who are like, I think they're probably four or five years of age, when they retested them, or when they re-looked at these kids when they were in later high school years, what they found was that these kids did better on all their tests. These kids were less likely to be using drugs. These kids were less likely to be obese, and they had greater social skills. And in fact, when they followed them through in later life, they found these kids had happier marriages and they lived longer. Now, it's great that this test showed that, and it's great to know that that is a result of self-control. But I reckon the big question comes up, well, is self-control something that we're just born with? Is it something we can develop is it something we can learn? Because if all we learn is that self-control is better, then that test, that marshmallow test, whilst it's really cute, I mean, the kids are cute, aren't they? Um, it's a little bit empty. Um, so my hope is today we're going to dig more into God's word and we will arrive at a place where we do 
get a sense of how can we exert more self-control in our lives. Now, what we can say from that, from that experiment or that study is that self-control is really, really important at an earthly level. And given the Proverbs, we, we heard back in chapter 1, verse 3, that Proverbs is about providing instruction in prudent behaviour, we shouldn't be surprised that there is a lot written in the book of Proverbs about self-control, particularly about the results if we don't exert self-control in our lives and how we can get self-control. So what I'm going to do this morning, I hope, is talk about five things. One is just really quickly, what is self-control? And then what, what, what's the result of lack of self-control and what insight can Proverbs give us about that? And then I want to push into this, this, this topic of no restraint and what's the result of that for our world now? And then I want to spend time looking at where's the hope and I will challenge us to ask at the end what is our part in all of this? So they're going to be the five things I hope I tick off on today unless Jesus arrives before I get to the end and then we all get to go home. How good would that be? But anyway, if he doesn't come back, this will be second best, all right? So what is self-control? Let's jump into Proverbs. I've got a... Um, I want to, I suppose, say at the start, self-control is only mentioned twice in the book of Proverbs, although it's alluded to throughout the whole book. And I'm just going to look at one of those two verses this morning. And it's uh, Proverbs 25, 28. It'll be up there on your screen. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Now, the first part of that verse, like a city whose walls are broken through. So when Proverbs was written, if you lived in a city that didn't have walls, you wouldn't live there for very long. You needed walls to be safe because you were, if you didn't have them, you were susceptible to attacks from the enemies around you. Now, the second line of that verse turns this imagery around and the city walls are broken open, not from the outside, but they're actually broken open from the inside. Let me explain that to you. So the word self-control actually isn't in this verse. The word self-control isn't there. What, what the text does is it uses the term, rather than self, it uses the word spirit. And the, and the Hebrew word, Andrew Sheed tells me, can be disposition, my will, my longing, my motives. And so they translate it to self. And then secondly, the word control isn't there. The word that they use is the word rule or rule over. So in fact, Proverbs 28 could be read like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who has no rule over his spirit or has no rule over himself. So in this, wall, in this way, the city walls are broken down by an uncontrolled spirit. And what happens is it's the image of someone who just leaves himself open, open to all the influences of this world, who their passion, their desires are just visible for everybody to see. And so when the temptations of this world come along, they immediately infuse the person 
So in short, this Proverbs is making a really shrewd observation saying that those who don't restrain or those who don't protect themselves are vulnerable to all the attacks from this world. So if that's the observation, then then what's the result for those who don't show a lack of restraint or a lack of self-control? And what, what insights can Proverbs give us about that? So I'm going to talk now about lack of self-control. What are those warnings and insights? So the first one is uh, a couple of proverbs there. All who are prudent act with knowledge, but fools expose their folly. Or the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. So the wisdom of the sensible person, well, they carefully consider their ways. They they apply the knowledge that they have. They apply the knowledge that they, they're given. Whereas the fool, that is the one who makes foolish choices, they, they fail to apply knowledge. They fail to exert self-control. And, and that recklessness, Proverbs tells us, is exposed for all to see. Even the person themselves sees their foolishness. They deny it or they blame it. They say, well, they made me do it. Or I've had a tough life and therefore this is my choice. And in Proverbs, that's called deception or denial. Now, Proverbs lists many instances where people fail to exert self-control. And I'm not going to go through all of those. I think I'm just going to hit the top few and then I'm going to dig more deeply into one of them. I want to start with alcohol misuse. Sorry that that's so small. Um, Let me read it. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Lovingly bedazzled by it. But be careful, it has a kick, Proverbs says. Yeah, in Australia, one in five car accidents, fatal car accidents in the last year involved drink driving. One in three Australians who choose to drink, drink at levels that puts them, put them at risk of alcohol-related diseases. What about anger and rage is the next one I want to press into. Proverbs thirty thirty three, For as churning cream produces butter and as twisting the nose produces blood... So stirring up anger produces strife. I reckon that's the best word picture, or one of the best in the Bible. And if you're preaching Proverbs and you don't preach that, you've missed it, eh? But it does tell us it's a warning against arousing anger. And the next proverb helps us with that. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. The comparison again between the wise and the fool. The wise brings calm. The fool brings rage fully vented. Domestic violence, alcohol-related violence, are both up in the last reporting period here in Australia, even though we have mass media campaigns and policies to try and end it. There was an NRMA study done last year. 
In New South Wales, it showed that 71% of New South Wales drivers admitted to being involved in incidents of road rage in the last 12 months. The last area of self-control I want to quickly push into, Proverbs talks a lot about the use of the tongue, the use of words and the use of lies. Here's one example. The words of the reckless pierce like swords. Australian research showed that 41% of children who currently report social anxiety do so as a result of cyberbullying. We're not that different to Solomon's time, are we, when we look at it that way? I want to press more deeply into an area that Proverbs spends a lot of time talking about, and that is sexual sin. Proverbs issues a lot of warnings regarding the implications of, of engaging in sexual sin. Now in Proverbs, let's remember Proverbs is written by a father giving advice to a son. And so the word used throughout Proverbs is adultery. I reckon for us to apply it to our lives today, we need to lift it up out of the word adultery and talk more broadly about sexual sin. I counted 70 verses where Solomon warns on sexual sin here's two of them these are the warnings and the outcomes of sexual sin surely her house leads to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead none who go to her return or attain the paths of life and there's this foreboding word from Solomon all at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare little knowing it cost him his life in the u.s a study recently showed that 40 percent of marital separations occur because of sexual infidelity the dangers of pornography use are well known now in our world it affects the wiring of the brain It results in poorer mental health. There is so much research to say that it is so dangerous. I'll quote just one study that was done in 2018 and it showed that regular consumers of pornography were twice as likely to end up being separated or divorced later in life. And that's even when you control for marital happiness, sexual satisfaction and the like. So what I mean by that is if you get people with the same level of marital uh, satisfaction and sexual satisfaction, if one of them regularly uses porn and the other one doesn't, that person is twice as likely to end up getting divorced. Sexual sin also plays on our disordered desires. I saw... Among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. Why did he have no sense? Well, he had no sense because he was going down the street near her corner. Why did he have no sense? Because he was walking in the direction of her house. Why did he have no sense? Because it was twilight. The day is fading and darkness is coming in. In Alcoholics Anonymous, we often talk about this term called seemingly irrelevant decisions, where I make a whole lot of simple, 
small, seemingly small decisions that lead me to the point where I cannot exert self-control, where I cannot make the good decisions I want to make. We talk about the fact that we talk about when I am hungry, when I am angry, when I am lonely or when I am tired. These are precursors to me going back to my old behaviours, to me making poor decisions again, not exerting my self-control. And at those times, I don't just accidentally happen to wander by that place that, that tempts me, not planning to sin. My disordered desires lead me there. We know this. We know this. But nevertheless, an Australian study in 2016 found 76% of men and 41% of women had used pornography in the last 12 months. 44% of Aussies in a census several years ago admitted to cheating sexually in a committed relationship. Infidelity is widespread in Australia. I don't know about you, but for me, given the warnings and the damage that I've just talked about of a number of those things, it makes us wonder how, how do we keep showing a lack of self-control? Much like those kids who had the marshmallows in front of them. Why, why don't we just choose the better option? Why do we stuff that metaphorical marshmallow down our throat and swallow it only to know that it's going to give us a stomachache later on? Proverbs talks about the, 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 the lips of the adulterous woman are as sweet as honey on the lips, but they're as bitter as gall when it hits your stomach. Why, why do we ultimately make those choices that make us sick? And this is even more so the case as Christians, isn't it? When we know that our God is holy and he calls us to likewise be holy. Psychologists and scientists have tried to work this out across time. We've always known that self-control was important. The, the marshmallow study and a whole range of others showed us the really good outcomes of exerting self-control. About 30 years ago, self-esteem was the buzzword when I entered psychology. And we thought if we could make people feel better about themselves, they'll make better decisions, right? No. You just feel better about yourself while making really bad decisions. Well, and then we thought, well, let's understand self-control better and look at what are the mechanisms and, and, and what are the things that will make self-control happen. So we understood the brain pathways and we understood motivational enhancements. But then we did all these studies and we showed the people with the bright, right brain pathways and good motivational enhancements still made poor choices. Most recent development, I reckon, in psychology is this idea of self-compassion. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's where we apply compassion to ourselves. Go easy on yourself. Our current world's answer seems to be maybe if we cut ourselves a break, 
we might somehow improve over time. I don't know about you, but that answer leaves me dissatisfied or even more so, it leaves me really concerned because I don't know about you, but I know the darkness that lives in my own heart. To understand it through God's eyes, I reckon, is so much more useful and so much more powerful. Proverbs 29.18 will help us do that. Here we are going to look at that when there's an issue of no restraint, there are massive issues in our world. Proverbs 29.18 reads, Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. Where does this proverb seem to lay the root of the problem? Or to people casting off restraint? I don't know if you've ever um, seen this fellow, if we click to the next slide. This guy's name is Ollie London. Ollie is of white British descent. He identifies, though, as South Korean. In 2021, Ollie came out as non-binary, in other words, not male, not female. In mid-2022, Ollie came out as a gender-fluid trans woman. In October 2022, Ollie transitioned back to his original self, which was a biological man, and he has since seemingly converted to Roman Catholicism. Ollie is a, he's a, a spokesperson for an organisation in the UK called um, Fairness First. Now, Fairness First are a movement that wants to empower parents to exert rights over their kids, particularly given the radical gender ideology that's infiltrating schools and sports across the globe. I'm not sure if you know, but we've just come to the end of Pride Month across the world. Uh, I saw a clip recently where Ollie was speaking and he was speaking out against so-called family-friendly pride marches in the US and Canada. And this is what he said. At these marches, there are children staring in horror while their parents clap and cheer and applaud at people marching there who are naked and or semi-naked. And these events are dubbed family-friendly by the organisers. And a lot of these events have big corporate sponsorship. And Ollie goes on to say, in the US, we're seeing thousands of children being medically transitioned, having their body parts removed. With some states like California proposing laws to make it child abuse if a parent doesn't affirm the, children, the child's self-chosen gender. This is really coming to a breaking point. Listen, this has gone too far. We need to stop. We need to get back to where we were 10 to 20 years ago. This has gone too far. When we hear these very true words spoken by a man who has previously aligned himself and his identity with this ideology, we should be terrified. We should be aghast. But is, is the solution really going back 10 or, or 20 years, is that going to work? 
Should we go back 10 years before the plebiscite? Will that make things better? Or or should we go back in Australia 50 years when Christianity was the majority religious view held in Australia? Or should we go back to the time of the book of Proverbs when Solomon wrote it? Will that make everything better? We've just studied one Kings. It won't make it better, will it? Temple prostitutes, the worship of Baal. People have cast off restraint for a long time. And going back in time is about as sensible as having more compassion on ourselves. Neither of those things will fix the issue. So where's the hope? Well, before I go to the hope... I want to invite you to reflect. Have you cast off restraint in your life? Is there sin in your life? Are there places where your wall has holes in it and the enemy is just attacking you openly? Or more specifically, you are allowing those attacks? It doesn't need to be so, brothers and sisters, because the answer is right here in this verse. Proverbs 29, 18, not only gives us the diagnosis, but it also gives us the cure. It gives us the place to find hope. Let's read it again. Where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed, blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. In this proverb, the difference between the people who perish from the people who are blessed, is those who listen to the wisdom and accept God's special revelation that comes from his word. And and for those of us who read this, standing on the other side of the cross, it is also acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Saviour. And it is receiving his Holy Spirit. So I reckon the first first hope is found in knowing God. We heard it read before, Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can I exert self-control? How can I put to bed those demons? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Living according to God's word is where the hope is found. But you notice how active it is? It's not just sitting there and reading a book. It's, it's seeking and committing. It's seeking and learning. It's seeking and rejoicing. It's seeking and delighting. It's so active. I once heard uh, the American evangelist Paul Washer state verse 11 in the negative and I've underlined verse 11 there and I heard him say it this way 
I have not hidden your word in my heart so that I might sin against you. I have not hidden your word in my heart so that I might sin against you. That's a great example where if I actively ignore God's word, if I actively ignore God's revelation, then I inevitably cast off restraint and I inevitably ignore wisdom's instruction and I am doomed. But the opposite is true. When we turn our will over to God, just like Jesus did in that garden at Gethsemane, where he knelt there, And he said, yet not as I will, but as you will. When I do that, I acknowledge that God's will is best for me. I acknowledge that God knows more than me. I acknowledge that his ways are best. His honour is a thing that is to be sought So my response is then I proactively plan my home environment so I am less likely to be tempted by internet pornography. Why? So that his name is honoured. And I follow his command to be pure. I reckon the second hope is found when we follow Jesus. Jesus was a perfectly self-controlled man. He constantly obeyed his father in the face of all temptation, in the face of all shame, in the face of all suffering. And he is not only our model and our great encouragement, but he's a great wise man who speaks God's word into our hearts. And even more than that, he has taken the penalty for all the times when I failed to show self-control. He is a sacrifice and he is our saviour. This morning as I've spoken, you may have felt convicted because I know I felt convicted when I wrote this and when I prayed about it. Maybe you feel defeated, afraid, alone, isolated because you sit there thinking, I'll never have the self-control. I've failed so many times. Well, brother or sister, I encourage you to take heart. There is always a way back. There is always a hope for those who put their trust in Christ. And that leads us to our final reason for hope, which is found in the Holy Spirit. To all who receive him as Lord and Saviour, Jesus has promised the gift of his Spirit. And that gift makes us new. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit that does not make us timid. It doesn't make us afraid. But it gives us power, love, and that's right, it gives us self-control. And again in Galatians, when he goes through the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The great provider provides. God provides for every one of his children just like you do for your kids, for your nieces, for your nephews, for your grandkids. God is a better father, a better provider than any of us will ever be. He will not leave us wanting. 
the Holy Spirit gives us everything we lack, including, amongst other things, self-control. And how, how does the Spirit work in us? Well, I reckon there's two ways. One is it persuades us, it enlightens us through the gospel message that even in our fallenness, God loves us. God loves us. And he's our gracious heavenly father. And, and he is more trustworthy than our own inconsistent selves or in the lies that the devil tells us. And then secondly, I believe the Holy Spirit supernaturally and powerfully works in us. It changes us over time so we can defer our own desire for immediate gratification in the light of knowledge of what is to come, eternity. So I reckon within all of this, I think it's fitting to think what is our part in all of this. In AA, I learnt many, many years ago to let go and let God. And that might just be a saying, but it's something that I constantly reflect upon and it's not a passive activity to let go and let God it's not letting go of the steering wheel it's allowing God to drive you as you hold on to the steering wheel when Paul speaks of self-control he refers not only to what is given but also to what is expected which is self-discipline we heard 1 Corinthians read there before Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Every good athlete exercises self-control in their chosen sport. Now, I don't know if you know this about me. I train an under-11s footy team the mighty Arimba Magpies, there they are there. Most of the kids I train have never played footy before. Our first game, we got soundly beaten. Our second game, we drew. Our third game, we won. And we won four in a row. Last weekend, we played the top team, undefeated team. We got thrashed, 44 to (laughs) 4. That's a photo after the game. We were back at training on Tuesday after getting flogged, 44 to 4. And we trained on Thursday when it was raining. We aren't world beaters, but we are improvers. And I encourage these boys and this girl to commit and try their best, knowing they won't always win. We're the same, brothers and sisters. We're no different. We will fail. We will fall short. But we then repent and we go again. But there is a massive difference between us and between my footy team. My footy team is doing it simply to receive a perishable crown or trophy at the end of the season if we're lucky. But more importantly, we also do it in our own limited and frail strength. But as Christian, Paul reminds us that we receive an imperishable crown, the crown of eternity, an inherited crown 
that we don't have to do anything for. Jesus has done it all. That is the crown that waits for every one of us. And more importantly, we don't race unaided. We don't run alone. We have the spirit of the risen Christ dwelling in every one of us. Don't you reckon that means we should run twice as hard? Because we're running with joy in our hearts, knowing that he has already won. God calls us to practice self-control in all aspects of our life, just like an athlete does. We are called to run with discipline, focus and endurance. As we study his word, as we emulate Jesus and as we allow his spirit to work through us, when we do that, God delights in empowering us with self-control. In Proverbs, we've been reading the words of wise King Solomon as he's reflected on life and what he's learnt. And that's been fantastic. But we can do better than Solomon. We get to sit at the feet of Jesus. Perfect human being where we not only learn that Jesus welcomes us into God's family, but he is also welcoming us into a community of believers where we reflect on life together, where we reflect on God's word together and we strengthen one another in the way that we love one another. Here in this community, hopefully we can also be honest with one another, with trusted brothers and sisters, where we talk about our struggles and our sins and we're sustained by his word but by the love that others show us. The great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, in confession, in other words, in sharing with others, the breakthrough to community takes place. Sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from his community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him and the more deeply he becomes involved in it, the more disastrous is his isolation. Sin wants to remain unknown. It shuns a light in the darkness of the unexpected. It poisons the whole being of the person. Brother or sister, if you are stuck in sin this morning, don't leave here without talking to someone. Come and see me. You will not get judgment. You will get prayer. Talk to someone that you're here with. We need to assist one another, pursue self-control by accountability, but by a reminder that we have a heavenly Father who loves us. And the blood of the cross washes all sins clean. Never forget that. We have growth groups where people get to know one another more, where they can trust one another. We'll be running again at the beginning of next year, Celebrate Recovery, where people can really dig into those hurts, habits and hang-ups that are happening in our lives. If you are here today and you're unsure about your relationship with God, if you're uncertain what does it mean to be a Christian, I want to tell you at its base, 
It means that there is hope amidst your struggles. I want to tell you that Jesus is the only one who can fully free you from your mistakes and make genuine self-control possible. Because ultimately, genuine self-control is not self-control. It is self under God's control. Don't leave here without talking to someone if you don't know that. We do have this life course coming up and likewise it would be a great course for you to sign up to get to understand more the ins and the outs of what does it mean to be a Christian. But brothers and sisters, before I end, I want to um, quote the words of an American pastor who passed away recently, Warren Wearsby. And he said this, he, he said, God's people don't simply fight for victory, but from victory. Because the Lord has already won the battle. Christians, we should lift up our heads because the battle has been won by Jesus. The Holy Spirit has been sent and our eternity is assured. So step forward in faith. Step forward fighting the good fight. Repent. Allow God to fight your battles through the Holy Spirit. Allow him to work in you and to change you. Let God be your wall as you meditate on his truth, on his word. How about we pray? Uh, Father God, I pray that when your word convicts us of our sinfulness, help us to continue to be a people who are quick to repent. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness won by your son. Uh, Father, we ask that his example and your spirit that lives in each one of us, we ask that that will enable us to say no to ungodliness and to to lead more self-controlled lives. And Father, as individuals and as a community, help us to daily meditate on your truths. Help us to apply them in our lives as we live lives that seek to bring you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.